welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with today's guests who know the ins and outs of diabetes and politics, Mike Hoskins and Oklahoma State Senator Carrie Hicks. If you're new to the show, welcome and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer and I'm the co-founder of Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. This impromptu episode was a no-brainer when President Biden took office and put a freeze on past executive orders. The diabetes community flipped out and was really misinformed. And so I contacted two friends who can speak to this topic. Be sure to check out the show notes to learn more about today's guests. They know their stuff. Before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit organization. Your kind donation helps keep the lights on and the episodes coming. It's easy to get involved. You can make a donation on the website or contact our crew about sponsorship opportunities. We play well in the Diabetes Sandbox and would greatly appreciate your support. Number two, the DDG affiliate page is live sharing brands and services who make our lives a more pleasant one. There are some killer deals for my diapeeps, so be sure to check it out. Number three, the Real Life Diabetes Virtual Happy Hour takes place every Thursday. The gathering has nothing to do with alcohol, but it is for adults. I hope you'll join me for a little pub talk, live music, yeah, live music, (laughs) random themes and trivia sessions with other people who get it from around the world. Be sure to register by clicking the Happy Hour logo in the show notes. And finally, stay engaged. Love, like, share, and comment on all things social media. Sign up for the e-newsletter leave an iTunes review, subscribe to the DDG YouTube channel, and click on the Amazon banner on the website before ordering. It doesn't cost you a thing, and there's a little change my way. All right, let's get started. Well, welcome both of you um, to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast, and I'm so excited to sit virtually across from both of you and um, discuss some things that are really hot topics right now as Biden is now in office. And I'm going to say right off the bat, I am the average person when it comes to, we need layman's terms and things like that, because I think a lot of the confusion right now and um, some of the reasons why people are upset is because they don't fully understand what's going on. Um, So I wanna really dive into that. And then we can also talk about, Carrie, your, uh, Senator Hicks, your efforts (laughs) with what you're doing in the state of Oklahoma to make sure that people living with diabetes have what they need. That sounds great. So let's talk about this executive order and the freeze on it, what it looks like. And you guys, I'll let you just kind of take it from here. Yeah, well, well, thank you for having us on here, Amber. It's, it's great to talk with you again, and especially on this very important topic. It's, uh, and, and like you, you mentioned earlier, it's, it is, I think, a very confusing topic, especially when mainstream media and, and, and even when you get into you know more of the, the, the pundits and, and the talking heads, so to speak, who uh, boil things down even more than the mainstream media does, it, it gets very confusing because there's, there's really you know, bullet points that people kind of talk about and they don't really look at what uh, the actual executive order or the, the former policy, um, the former administration, what they had done. So I think it is very confusing. Um, you know, and again, I think with with the new administration, um, you know, a lot of people have said that you know there's a lot of cleanup going on. There's been a lot of a lot of talk about just the politic politics of all of these executive orders. And uh, you know, one of the things that any new administration will do is when they come in, they look at the executive orders 
that have been done previously, especially the more recent ones. And they review them. They have their, their team of people, you know, from legal counsel to policymakers to everybody else, go through them and say, are there any problems? Is this something that, you know, A, at a policy level, do we even support? But B, are there problems that could come up at some point for us as the administration and you know, for the American people? And that's a lot of what has been happening is, you know, the new administration has been putting these through the review process, um, regardless of what review did or did not happen previously. And so this particular executive order that I think a lot of us have been reading about and talking about when it comes to insulin pricing is very specific to uh, a part of an executive order that, that former President Trump had uh, signed and went into a place uh, at, at the very end of last year talking about, um, you know, contract pharmacies in a particular federal uh, program, known as 340B. And it, it's, it touches a very small number of, of Americans at, at all. And it's, well, that's, okay, I want to say, say, Mike, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's one of the things that I think is one of the biggest misconceptions is that the type one community is like totally in an, in an uproar, like they've taken this from us. But it, it was, please explain with that executive order who it actually benefited, because it, like you said, is a very small percentage. Yeah, and, and, and again, I'm, I'm, you know, my disclaimer is, you know, I'm, I'm just a journalist, you know, I write about this, I, I read about it, I am certainly not a, I may be a policy wonk when it comes to some of these things, but I'm no expert in, in any of this, and, and I, I can't speak very intelligently on a lot of these, this stuff. Um, you can speak better than I can, I'll just say that. Carrie can probably... Yeah. Well, and I'll just say, I mean, the confusion at the state level, too, has been really difficult because, you know, the, the common... Um, idea, if you will, is just that, well, you know, the, the previous administration addressed the pricing crisis. And so why are you sponsoring these six bills at the state level when it's already been taken care of at the federal level? So then when the executive order kind of got paused, you know, it just created a lot of uncertainty in the community. And so really trying to explain to folks that, you know, this executive order was really just intended for seniors who were using insulin and that ultimately, I mean, the manufacturers had opted out of this particular plan because their stance was that they were actually charging less and that with this executive order potentially implemented that they would be um, increasing prices, not lowering them. Um, so, you know, it's it's just important that we're, we're honest about who it's addressing um, because, you know, for families like mine, my son is six years old. Um, we're on a high deductible health plan. Um, you know, we were were not impacted by that particular executive order. And I think that there's good information on both sides that we need to be listening to. I don't have any insight into the Biden administration plan. I don't know, you know, what, what is going to happen, but I think it is important that, you know, they really are taking time to review it um, to make sure that whatever is implemented moving forward um, is actually helpful to individuals who are seeking insulin at an affordable price. Yeah, and I, I would just add to that. I mean, that's a perfect explanation. That's, you know, that the pause is a very important point because that is, it wasn't stopped. It wasn't, you know, thrown away completely. It's a matter of they're putting it on pause until at some point in March, I believe it is, to review it, to see if everything's okay. And maybe it will go back into place as it was. Maybe it won't. Maybe there'll be some some changes. Uh, but I think that's a very important aspect to this particular EO as well. 
And let me ask you, Senator Hicks, because I'm not sure what the process is here. If they decide to move forward with this and it put it into place, actually, can we add things to it that affect a greater demographic or group of people? You know, I, I'm, I'm just going to say I, I can't speak with certainty on that, but I, I do know several people who have been, you know, working on Capitol Hill on this particular issue. And, you know, that seems to be the underlying um, hope, I think, is that since it was such a narrow percentage of people that were affected by this you know, Medicaid Part B, um, that ultimately they're looking at a more comprehensive reform. And so I think, again, the pause is important so that we can really look at dollars and cents and making sure that um, how people are impacted um, by kind of chopping up the insurance markets, I think has really been, um, in my opinion, it's been really frustrating because when you're trying to talk to people about the rising cost of insulin, but they've been carved out of that immediate impact, there's not as much urgency to try and fix the problem for everyone. Um, so my hope would be that as these things are reviewed, um, that, that we do start to see a more comprehensive reform. I don't believe that that, that particular EO can be amended, but I, I would assume that whatever comes out of this would have a more comprehensive approach. That's my hope. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and for all of the um, advocates that are listening to this, or just the people that are just hearing about all these things, do you have any particular language, either one of you, that would help us rally together and work collectively to see more change in a positive fashion? Yeah, I mean, I, I think collectively when working together is, is a key. I mean, they're, you know, again, talking about this particular EL with um, you know, Medicare B, uh, you know, the 340B pharmac contract pharmacies. Um, there's another executive order uh, that had been uh, put in place uh, regarding, uh, you know, something else related to, uh, to to the diabetes community, insulin. And, you know, some of those things I think are, you know, they, they deal with the same overall issue, but they each deal with them in, in separate ways um, in, in the ways that they do. And I think that, those all are very important that we can, we don't need, I mean, maybe we, you know, like maybe we do, but I don't think we can always have an overarching, this bill tackles everything because again, right. you look at, you know, the, the Affordable Care Act and healthcare reform and you've got, you know, libraries worth of uh, paper that goes into a particular bill and there's the paperclip effect that is always at play when it comes to legislation. And, and I feel that, you know, the smaller, more focused the bill is, I think even if it hits a small portion, I mean, insulin copay caps at the state level, and I know the Senator is very aware of those, those are very important and they deal with a very small, very small number of people at, you know, at each state level, but it's important because it's a, it's a cumulative effect. You know, you have a little bit here, a little bit there, and eventually, hopefully you get to the insulin for all the, you know, helping all of the people with these little pieces here and there. And to that end, you know, one of the, the rules that we have in place in the state of Oklahoma is called a log rolling rule. And so, you know, sometimes you'll see these comprehensive packages go through as kind of an omnibus approach to, you know, multiple discussions that have resulted in, you know, multiple pieces of legislation that are put into one significant reform. Um, and with, you know, the, the approaches that I'm taking this year on the state level, um, you know, I filed six different 
bills <laughs> ultimately that are targeted to the same um, end because we do have that log rolling rule. Um, and so, you know, it, it is it is hard um, at that state level to then get, you know, un unanimous support on both sides of the aisle. I'm in a super minority and so really um, being able to, to work across the aisle on meaningful policy, um, it almost seems like six is going to be um, just an uphill battle. But and, you know, you just take it one day at a time, one year at a time, and hope that we can get some incremental changes through that are really going to help folks when they go to the pharmacy because, you know, everybody should be able to afford their life-saving medications. I want to shift gears a little bit because obviously insulin is something that we cannot live without, but I have had the privilege, I'm going to say, of wearing a CGM for the past four years, and so I know that that is something that, <laughs> Mike, are you wearing a CGM? I am. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I've got the G6 on. Okay. And that's another big thing, like a big controversy right now. I mean, the whole Nick Jonas commercial and all the things there. So I'm hoping to see in the future, and if either one of you can speak to this, how are we also going to make sure that people living, especially with type one, um, have access, affordable access to CGNs? Are we in the process of that at any capacity? I think we are. Uh, you know, and, and again, I mean, you're, you're always... I think you're always going to have that that drumbeat of, you know, it is unaffordable for a lot of people and, you know, CGM, uh, you know, any technology by comparison to something like insulin is, uh, you know, certainly not a luxury by comparison to. I mean, certainly a lot of us feel that CGM has saved our lives. It's hugely important. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when you're comparing it to insulin, of course, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a different animal. But I think, you know, again, I think at the policy level, I think we are seeing some of those pushes toward more affordable, um, more access to CGM. Um, you know, I think, you know, we saw that with, you know, some of the more recent Medicare um, uh, proposed rules in, you know, if it's FDA approved, uh, you know, then people should have access to it. There shouldn't be these various categories of CGM. Um, you know, if somebody uses a particular CGM versus another, um, their access may not be the same, whether it be Medicare or private insurance. Uh, and I think that's, that's a push toward getting an even level playing field for all these particular CGMs and future CGMs that are on the market. Um, and I, I think that will help on, on the affordability aspect, um, at least making sure that access is similar to all of these. Yeah, one of the things that we've been um, successful through the Legislative Diabetes um, Caucus in Oklahoma, um, this previous, I think it's been two years that we've been working on this, right, Amber? <laughs> Um, on getting um, CGM coverage for our, our Sooner Care, um, which is our, our kids um, that are on Medicaid in Oklahoma. They were being denied um, CGM access, which, I mean, again, you know, since those programs are administered on a state-by-state -state basis, as you have people, you know, relocating to the state of Oklahoma and knowing that our, our standard of care is lower um, for children with diabetes, um, it was creating a lot of just unnecessary hardships for families um, who, who really, you know, depend on that technology, especially when the child is so young, um, to be able to monitor and, and treat, you know, that continuity of care um, for their diabetes. So um, the other thing that we're looking at, so to build off of that success um, within our Medicaid program is, um, you know, a, a bill that we have um, this year, um, which is just to try and codify the standards of care. Um, so to take what the, the federal standards of care, the American Diabetes Association puts out on an annual basis or, um, you know, updates kind of 
on a consistent basis and saying at a very basic level, this is the preventive level of treatment that every person living with diabetes should have um, insurance coverage for in the state of Oklahoma. And I mean, it's not even the Cadillac, it's not even the limousine, you know, of care. It's it's just at a very basic level. This is the, the baseline standards of care that should be met to make sure that individuals um, are mitigating those long-term complications such as amputation, blindness, um, you know, at the very heart of that conservative argument would be to say, you know, if we want people to be able to, to remain employed um, and working, then this is good policy to make sure that, that every person has adequate support to be able to continue to thrive in our society. So um, it's getting a lot of pushback. I know you're probably not surprised by that, but you know, especially as we look at, um, you know, young people with a CGM, we have all the research and the data um, that shows why it is such an important component to managing and treating type 1 diabetes. So um, we'll continue that conversation because it really, it, again, you know, the cost is going to come down. The technology is constantly reinventing itself, which is great. It's kind of a, a tech world right now that we're living in. And so we're just asking for, you know, the very basic level of care to be covered by all insurance companies in the state of Oklahoma. Well, can either one of you speak to why is there pushback? Like, why are people fighting this? I mean, I would like to believe, and I know that's maybe um, naive, but you want me to have my best life. I mean, I didn't ask for this disease. So like, what, can you give me some reasons as to why people are pushing against this? In the conversations that, that we've had to this point is just the cost, um, you know, and, and my argument to that is, I mean, there was a time when we didn't cover mammograms. There was a time when we didn't cover some really good preventive care that we know is essential for mitigating complications that are very costly, if not fatal, for individuals. And so this is no different. Um, you know, yes, the technology is 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 newer, um, but at the same time, I mean, this is, you know, built off of longitudinal studies that have, I mean, they have a lot of clout now. Um, so you invest your dollars now or you spend them later. I mean, we're, we're spending money on these issues. Um, and for me personally, I would rather see that money be spent in prevention um, so that we're not looking at, you know, a loss of limb um, and eyesight. I mean, those things are just detrimental to the quality of life for those individuals. And so, you know, I, I mean, you can cut it, you can cut the argument any way you want, but ultimately it's, it comes down to dollars and cents. Um, you know, I would rather invest that money wisely um, instead of having to, to spend um, later on complications that are just detrimental to individuals. I have to say, Senator Hicks, just so you know, <laughs> Mike has had diabetes as long. How long have you had diabetes, Mike? Uh, since I was five. So I think we're going on about 40 years or so. 40 years. And his mother also type one. So it gives, I mean, I'm not saying that it should give you hope, but <laughs> it does give me hope. It does give me hope. And, and I mean, truly, you know, I think, I think also the misinformation is a really hard sell on this too. Um, you know, individuals want to believe that somehow, you know, I caused my child to have this, which we know is just not scientifically accurate. It's always going to be a part of the story and that shame and blame and, you know, personal responsibility arguments that take root here in Oklahoma um, are just, 
calloused um, and and misinformed, in my opinion. Um, you know, individuals with type one or type two diabetes um, are not asking um, for the conditions that we have to to monitor and navigate on a daily basis. And so, you know, I just I, I think it's important that we cut through that rhetoric um, and provide some humanity to what the disease looks like. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and I think too. I mean, the, you know, jumping off of that, I mean, I think that's where with all of these very specific policy conversations when it comes to insulin or CGM or, you know, diabetes research, you know, as it may be, all these things, I mean, I, I think they do tie back to awareness. And, you know, again, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who have different opinions on some of the larger diabetes organizations out there. Uh, but one of the things that, you know, again, the Nick Jonas Dexcom commercial that just came up, I mean, regardless of what you felt about that commercial and, and you know, the, the affordability, the access of all those things, the fact that diabetes and CGM became a talking point for a lot of people, you know, outside of the diabetes community. I think there was a story I saw this past week, you know, a number of days where I think it was uh, the top rated uh, Super Bowl commercial and it had like 11 times more searching uh, affiliated with it than an average Super Bowl commercial. And it's not all of us. It's not all people in the diabetes community. That's just people, you know, I know somebody with diabetes and there's others who have said, you know, they've had conversations with family and friends and, and colleagues after that commercial about type one and type two. And there's been advocacy that's happened after that. And that all ties in with this policy and then legislation where, you know, what are the differences? How does this work? Is there shame, stigma attached to some of these conversations? Um, and it all ties together. And I think that collectively, to go back to your question, your point earlier, Amber, collectively, I think we're all doing something about it in, you know, whether it's a very grassroots thing or a larger organization, or, you know, we're talking to, you know, state lawmakers, we're all trying to effectively do something to, to move the needle. I hope so. Well, and let me ask you, <laughs> I would love to believe I've been fighting this fight for seven years. And, and more about just bringing awareness because, you know, I, oh, there's a bird at my window that's literally tapping on the glass, like, let me in, it's cold. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Is it just, you know, a lot of people don't know about the devices or the insulin therapies and the pump therapies and all these things. So it's, it's just been my personal mission to make sure that I get out as much unbiased information as possible. And for the people that want to find their voice and to talk about these things, how do we teach them with the right tools uh, to make that happen. So if either one of you have advice on, because Mike, I know that you have the privilege of talking to executives or whomever on a regular basis. And so your voice is really being heard. And then Senator Hicks, you obviously are having people come to you. And so what is the best way to communicate your advocacy efforts? It's different for, for people in, in you know so many different places. And um, I think it's a matter of, you know, what what do you feel strongly about? I mean, you know, some people fully believe that, you know, we need to focus on cure research um, and doing some of that. Some people, you know, have, have very adamant opinions about certain organizations. And so they don't want to be affiliated with some of that. And they'd rather do something different. And I think it's a matter of finding what speaks to you. Um, you know, if it's the insulin pricing crisis, then, you know, where can you address that? Um, you know, making sure that you're finding reliable information to start some of these conversations about advocacy, I think is hugely important, whether that be, you know, uh, you know, Diabetes Mind or Diatribe or, you know, other information that's out there, you know, your podcast, things where people who are talking about these things and relying on 
actual real information versus, you know, a, a social media meme, uh, for example. <laughs> you know, I mean, again, I mean, people have opinions about, you know, different news sources too, and make sure that it's not a, a, a pundit talking about these things, um, you know, or a columnist. Make sure that it's somebody who is at the forefront, you know, it's a researcher, it's, a, it's an executive in an organization, it's, you know, something and, you know, make sure you have a, you know, you, you take that with a grain of salt, of course, too, but just make sure it's reliable information that you're basing um, your actions on. That's my hope and advice. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you're, you're right. People just find me. Um, and, and I'm, I'm glad that they do. Um, you know, obviously I represent kind of Northwest Oklahoma city, um, Nichols Hills, some, some real small, you know, pockets within the community of Northwest Oklahoma city, but, you know, statewide, um, individuals come to me with concerns about their athletics, um, you know, medical transfer getting denied, um, through the OSSAA. And so it's like trying to help them navigate the process to make sure that they're, um, being adequately represented in, you know, in ways that, you know, people without an, a true understanding of type one diabetes would not be able to advocate for those things um, because it's, you know, it's personal. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I welcome any and all folks um, in the state who are, are dealing with challenges, um, especially at the state level that I can help them um, you know, navigate or at least put them in contact with individuals that can can also listen and help with that. Um, our state, you know, Legislative Diabetes Caucus has been a real, um, for me, just a, a real positive experience in listening to not only, you know, the advocates in the room, but also the medical professionals and providers and how they're being impacted by insurance claims denials for their patients and really trying to work through some of that, you know, very, very complicated and detail-oriented work um, on that kind of micro level. Um, but, you know, the way this all started for us was, you know, after our son was diagnosed at 17 months old, we uh, we were struggling and we were just looking for um, other parents and kids um, that that looked like ours um, and families that looked like ours that could just help us get through the challenging times of relearning how to take care of our kiddo. And, you know, we found a really, really tight knit community in Oklahoma city. And so a lot of the advocacy that, that I now enjoy doing is, is a result of just some very honest and raw and personal conversations about the challenges that each one of us was facing. Because once you realize you're not alone, then you go, okay, <laughs> there's, there's more work that needs to be done. Um, and I'm glad it's not just, you know, me not being able to connect the dots or, or fix the pieces. And so, you know, it was a big part of the campaign and getting elected was to be able to speak truth to some of the, the you know, finger pointing um, as it relates to the pricing crisis. And so, you know, I, I echo what Mike says in that, you know, find your passion, you know, whatever it is that really lights your fire um, and link arms with people who um, feel similarly and then challenge each other in your conversations and your dialogue and making sure you truly understand, you know, what is happening. It's taken me three years to come up with the legislation we proposed this year um, because I really did want to listen and learn. I came in mad at the manufacturers. I was mad at pharma. I was mad at these guys. I was mad over here, you know, and really being able to kind of pull back all those layers and then kind of look at things in a more comprehensive approach has really formulated the policy that I put forth this year. So it's not simple. And, you know, 
for people who are not looking for a full-time advocacy role, um, you know, plug in where you can and, and listen to folks that you enjoy who can, who can give you honest information who aren't, you know, maybe having underlying motives because, you know, you've got to be careful when you're listening to certain, certain, you know, sources, you just have to know um, if they're affiliated with any companies. Um, and that took me a long time to figure out as well. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm always curious to talk to other parents and to talk to other folks that have type one <laughs> or type two diabetes, um, because that's where you get the honest answers um, and you figure out what needs to be changed. I will say too, if you, I'm not saying that everyone should be an advocate because not everybody, I mean, I didn't know I was an advocate until I got really pushed into this. <laughs> I just thought I was just talking my talk. Um, but I think that one of the most important things and Mike, Mike, I don't know if you can agree with this, but was finding my people. I mean, I'm a part of a women's support group that only women with type one and people all over the world. You know, I host a weekly happy hour with men and women from all over the world. And we learn so much from each other and if someone doesn't show up, we check on them. I mean, it's that level of community that I feel like gets parents or the individual through hard times. So, you know, if you are not involved in anything and you happen to be listening to this podcast, I'll gladly connect you with whomever because I have a really great group of people that I know that if I needed something, I could call. And, you know, getting to know Mike over the years and his advocacy efforts and diabetes mind and all the things that you're doing, that has been one of my legitimate resources that I know they're speaking the truth. There are a number of other groups. And when you talk about um, maybe some of the things with, there's been big arguments that one particular very large organization is taking money from pharmaceutical companies. And there was a big pushback on that. And I just want to shake my fist at those people and say, you have to have money as an organization to do your efforts. I mean, if, if, if they're not allowing you to say things that's differently, but I just think that we need to be a little bit more forgiving or kind to the uh, nonprofits because we have to survive and we're not asking the people with diabetes to, to, to throw in change, I guess. So, yeah. And I will say too, Mike, you put out an uh, article the other day or you were, I don't know if it was on Twitter or what, but it was a gentleman who writes for Esquire. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea diabetes, but when I started to read, it was about the Nick Jonas commercial, I was like, the guy has street cred because he lives with the disease. And so now I have a new appreciation and I hope to be interview that person at some point. But Mike, do you feel the same way? Like when you hear somebody with diabetes talking about something versus just a regular publication, that's kind of a weird question, but. No. Yeah. And I, I, I agree. I see it the same way. I mean, again, for me too, you know, being a part of this community for, for a number of years, it always comes back to me for, it's not necessarily the advocacy uh, you know, whatever the topic may be, it's it's always the people, it's the community. And that's how I got started in all of this, you know, finding my tribe. Um, yeah. I felt alone. I felt scared about a lot of things at that point in my life, you know, 20 years ago. And, you know, I found people who were, were sharing stories that felt real and touched me in a certain way. And that brought me into this huge community that has just exploded over the past many years. But all these things, you know, I don't like to think of myself as an advocate. I, I'd rather not be the one talking about these things. I'd rather, you know, just, you know, meet up for coffee or, or you know, a, a drink, you know, in time you can do that um, and covering it from, from the other side. And, you know, it, it's about finding those people and, and talking about it. And, you know, you know, Dave Holmes, I mean, again, you know, lives 
with it himself. You know, he's he's a he's a former MTV guy. Yeah. Um, well, you know, which you know, and you know, some of us who watched MTV, you know, earlier, you know, we remember <laughs> some of that. And it's just one of those things where, yeah, I I feel more it resonates with me because that guy gets it. You know, and again, even Nick Jonas. You know, going back to that, I mean. Yeah, Nick is a celebrity, you know, singer and actor, and you know, certainly doesn't experience some of the, the same things. But neither do you and, and I have the yeah. same experience. You know, Nick Nick understands what it is to be with Type One, and in different ways, in, in that have modeled, you know, his his lifestyle. So be it. That you can't discount that. I mean, yeah, of course, he's getting paid, and you know, people who are part of organizations may get, you know get paid, and they may have certain talking points, but it's all coming from a place of that community where we're in this for a reason, you know? And I think that that's what I tend to go back to without trying to be ultimately naive and realize there are sometimes there are strings attached, but yeah, people aren't evil. I mean, even people who work for pharmaceutical companies and, you know, you know, PBMs and insurers, I mean, at the base level, we're all human and you have to approach it from a level of, we can talk to each other and somehow come to a level of understanding. And, if we can't start from that place, we're never going to end there. We're never going to get anything accomplished together. I'm going to pitch this right now because I've been trying to get an interview with Nick Jonas for quite some time. I obviously have not made it happen. He's got more important, the Today Show took priority. I don't know why. But I'm like, if you were to see as a kid, Nick Jonas and Jumanji rocking his decks as he's hanging from the helicopter, that would be awesome. I'm pitching that to the universe. Let's have some action heroes that... You can see their gear. Aquaman, man, if you had a Dex on you, heck yeah, because kids would pick up and be like, oh, wait, I see that. So universe, I'm just throwing that out there in case you need some, uh, <laughs> some ideas. Yeah. And Mike, I got to say, I was contacted by a woman, I believe her name is Janine from Ireland, and she found the podcast and started listening from the very beginning. And she said in her three-page email to me, because her son has type one, um, that now she drinks a lot more craft beer. Well, there you go. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, early years. <laughs> the joys of coffee, craft beer, and, and diabetes. Somehow they all... little bourbon. A little yeah. bourbon in there. Everyone's bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Senator Hickson, we can end... I mean, I'm so thankful that both of you were able to take time. I think you both speak so eloquently about your version of what's going on. And I, do you have any thoughts, Senator Hicks, on the fact that like we're talking about <clears throat> things that we would like to see or whatever as people living with diabetes, but as a parent, does it give you hope for like your son is going to have a fabulous life? I mean, he, he, if he, if he chooses to, I mean, some people don't, but um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the hope. Right. Um, and I mean, this week I, you know, I, I put it on my social media cause I think it's important that people see that there are still struggles, you know, even with the family who has as many resources and, as we do, you know, this week was really, was really tough. It was just kind of a rotten week for our technology. And that's why also I have his <laughs> sensor came off this morning. So that's why it's there. But you know, I mean, it, the technology is great when it works. Um, and so to be, you know, just completely transparent in our journey with diabetes, you know, that is my hope is that um, he, he sees how, how hard um, we are fighting for him to have a better, um, better life and better opportunities. And not just him, but, you know, every person in, in the state of Oklahoma that's struggling with these same things, um, the mental health toll that it takes on uh, not only the individual, but the family. Um, you know, the other night I was up every two hours because the pump, you know, the, I'm working crazy hours with the 
the legislative session right now. And so I got home and the pump was not charged. And so the sensor was down and it was just like, okay, <laughs> I can either um, do a new injection site at, you know, midnight or I can just get him through the night. So it was a every two hours um, kind of a situation. So, you know, I, I hope that, you know, through, through our efforts of just being honest about what it looks like, um, you know, we're not trying to earn any medals or awards. We're just trying to explain that, you you know, even when you do have as many resources as we do and you have the technology, there are still a lot of challenges and struggles and, and the toll that it takes on the family, um, you know, to fight with your insurance company to just get the, you know, get it paid off or whatever, you know, to get your supplies for the next three months shipped to your house. Um, you know, I, I just feel like as, as long as we can continue to have really honest conversations, yes, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic for what things can look like um, for his future. Um, but it also just makes me incredibly frustrated when I listen to people who, you know, who have dealt with the disease for as long as you guys have, and just feeling like, you know, yes, we, things have improved, but you know, and there's just all this other. And so, um, I think it's good to celebrate the things and the accomplishments that we've had along the way. But I think it's also just really important to be honest that, um, you know, we all three look very similar on this call today. Um, and so, uh, our struggles are not necessarily representative representative of every community's experience with this disease as well. So those are just the things that I'm really um, passionate about and making sure that we're carving out space for um, more equity in the conversation moving forward. Yeah. Well said. Definitely. Well, and, yeah, and you, and you nailed it. I mean, I'm just inspired by the conversations, the people who are willing to have those conversations and uh, have more conversations. I think that's how we continue accomplishing and moving forward and fixing what needs to be fixed and doing what hasn't been done before. I think it's definitely going to be the advocacy and I'm going to, I keep using the word advocacy and that's not it, but my, sharing our stories um, because you never know. And for the people that are making some of the decisions, you never know what heartstrings you're going to pull on. Uh, so being honest about what life is like with this disease and there are good days and bad. And that's Senator Hicks. When I responded to your Facebook post, it was like one day at a time. <clears throat> I had somebody say in the support group recently, because somebody was really struggling with their diabetes management and they're like one minute at a time one hour at a time, because it does change so dramatically for reasons unknown at times. And so just kind of giving yourself the, the grace to just do your best and forget the rest. So um, anyway, well, thank you both. If there's anything else you'd like to throw in for shits and giggles, please feel free. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's always a pleasure to speak with both of you. Yes. I just want to say thank you for the, for the opportunity. You know, I, I think, in the beginning, we felt very powerless um, over what we could actually control. And, you know, what I found through, you know, multiple avenues, not just obviously in my new role as a state senator, but just, you know, we have more, we have more power than we think, um, you know, and even just being one individual who's willing to tell one story about how diabetes has impacted your life really does make um, a collective impact. And so um, if you're listening to this and you need one of those um, inspirational moments, you know, keep going. Um, like I said before, this week was really difficult with diabetes, but I know that next week's going to be better. Um, today's going to be better. Um, those are, those are the things that we look forward to. And um, the last time we went in for his A1C, you know, it was, it was a big celebration and, and in the middle of the pandemic where we're all eating our feelings. 
<laughs> so, I mean, these are the things that, um, that keep, that keep me going and keep me inspired. And so I just wanted to say thank you for the opportunity to come today and, and to, to be able to share in this dialogue. And let me ask you really quick, cause I'm just curious and Mike, I'm curious for you as well. When you get his A1C and it's a positive experience, when you say celebrate, what does that look like? Because my mom used to take me shopping for shoes. Like I went to children's hospital, I would go shopping. And so I, that's why I have a shoe addiction. I mean, I know it's all because of my diabetes, but um, do you, is there anything in particular or Mike, as a kid, did you celebrate in a certain way or? Yeah. Our six year olds really into Pokemon. Um, so, you know, and even, I mean, and I'll just be honest, you know, even when we do have a really not so great doctor's appointment, you know, we still find ways to celebrate because he's still with us. Um, and so like on the diversary, you know, carving time to just have a special date, just, you know, the two of us, um, to be able to celebrate that time together, I think is important. Um, you know, the celebrations look different to different people, but you know, we're, we really try to make sure that, you know, it's just a number, it's just information, um, you know, inside as the adult, you know, what those changes mean long-term for him. And so making sure that we're really measuring our responses, um, to the data. Um, thank you, uh, diabetes solutions for teaching me these things <laughs> so that we can keep, keep our emotions in check because we don't, don't want him to feel bad if he has a, a bad number. Um, that is just data. You know, there's no such thing as a good or a bad, um, but ultimately, you know, there's more challenging and less challenging. And so um, we celebrate with Pokemon cards. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, yeah it tries me may. I mean, that's, that, it's about, you know, whatever works for you. I mean, I, I try to have some fun with it and and look at it the same way. It's just a number. It's a data point. You know, I, I try to focus on, you know, time and range and, you know, how am I living my daily life versus, you know, the, the A1C. You know, growing up, I, you know, we didn't have, A1Cs weren't really a thing until I got to high school. Um, and, you know, and, you know, in the mid-90s or so, um, you know, early 90s, mid-90s. And um, so, I mean, I didn't really, and they were always higher when I was in my teens and, and early 20s as well. <laughs> So I didn't really celebrate, certainly, um, but I, I, I always just kind of looked at them as another piece of information that, um, you know, I need to move on. But, um, you know, every so often, depending on the A1C, I, you know, I have a, you know, I have a, a special drink or, you know, a cupcake or, you know, whatever it may be, uh, you know, to just to celebrate, uh, you know, to market. Same with diversaries, you know, anniversaries. I mean, I, I, we don't remember as a family when exactly I was diagnosed, you know, the date or even the month. We know it was in spring of 1984, based on some family issues that were going on at the time. But uh, you know, it's one of those things where you know, usually, you know, years back I got a new insulin pump on. I think it was March 10th, and I said, you know what? Roughly, this is the time I was diagnosed. So this is my new anniversary. This is the day it was going to be when it is. So we, I chose March 10th. So I, I, every time it comes around, I, you know, we, you know, raise a glass or do something to to mark it. I mean, that was to celebrate, but just to mark another year. This year, well, I just celebrated my anniversary on January 28th. So I'm now in my 38th year of living with diabetes. And I was hosting the happy hour that night. And so I was like, celebrate my anniversary with me. And so it was fabulous to have so many people come in um, from around the world to celebrate. And my mom even came in. It was crazy. And nobody in that crew had met my mom and my sister. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to hear how other people talk about their anniversaries. So I hope that uh, Senator Hicks, you and your family continue to celebrate. Mike, I hope that we have another 30 anniversaries under our belts, you know, I mean, <laughs> in our future, I should say. So um, 
I'll end with that. You guys are both such an inspiration. Thank you for all that you do for the diabetes community. And then I hope that people listening to this podcast um, will find their voice or find their community. So you guys stay stay warm. Yes, stay warm. (laughs) Crazy times right now. All right. Have a good weekend. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. I am so thankful to know people like Mike and Senator Hicks, whose wealth of knowledge and stellar research skills are keeping us informed. Thank you both for your relentless advocacy efforts. Before I wrap up, I have a few quick reminders. Number one, I would be incredibly grateful if you helped kick off the new year with a donation. Funds raised, keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. Number two, be sure to check out the affiliates page, which is updated regularly with new deals. If you would like to join this list of reputable brands, please shoot us an email to Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. Number three, the real-life Diabetes Virtual Happy Hour takes place every Thursday from 5 to 6.15 p.m. Central Standard Time. Be sure to register by clicking the Happy Hour logo in the show notes. And finally, thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. I'm here for you. So feel free to contact me on any social media platform or directly at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com. Connecting with you makes my heart happy. And your continued support and love are the reason I keep the episodes coming. That's a wrap. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. It's a daily grind. It's a daily grind. It's a daily grind.